When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ultra Hope Girls, a Dang and Ramba podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing episodes six of the Danganronpa 3 anime. We're really, really excited. It's kind of coming to like a, you know, really intense moment for both of the arcs. So we're really, really excited to dive into it. Just a heads up that this episode will spoil. Episode six of the Danganronpa 3 anime. All right, folks, strap in because we're going for a wild ride. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One, two. Welcome to the Don and Rumpa podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. Sweet wee mama. Zooey mama indeed that is correct (laughs) so my very first note about um the future arc of this episode is that it is called no man is an island and that refers to like i think some poem i think marion you have more to say about this but um it like refers to the the fact of like people not being able to survive on their own like needing help from each other but the fact that that's the title of the episode and then the episode basically starts with hero alone on an island i found that funny um <laughs> just personally like you know no man is an island but a man is on an island and it's hero and it it's is hero, hero. <laughs> the ultimate man <laughs> <laughs> yep yep <laughs> oh man yeah it is a poem it is by john dunn and it goes like this Uh, No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a piece of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. As well as if any promontory were, as well as any manner of thy friends or thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. And it's a very interesting poem. It's very, it's kind of sad, but... Uh, so just for like clarity purposes, a promontory is a big, like rocky hunk of land that like kind of goes into the sea. And then a clod is just a piece of dirt. And so the implication is that if a small piece of dirt washes away from this big chunk of land, the loss is still there. And so death affects us as humans, even with people that we don't know ourselves, because you lose a piece of yourself because you are involved in humanity. Any loss of humanity is a loss of yourself in a way. And so it kind of explains like when you see on the news, if you see someone you don't know has passed and it hurts a li- like a little bit, it, there's a reason for that. And that's what that poem is kind of trying to invoke those feelings. So it's interesting because in this episode, we specifically Rurika, we see is has lost her two comrades her two like closest figures and there are also like a lot of things like Munakata is trying to be an island yeah it's interesting what you said and how every death does like I feel like Makoto is like the ultimate representation of this poem because he 
every death affects him the same like obviously and then he even has the dream of of like kyoko dying and like how that affects him and like Ooh, man, it makes and in this episode we get we see all our faves again, like all of our survivors, and it makes me wonder like what like but what happens if like what like if Toko's out in Toa City and like gets mauled by a Monokuma, like the 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 group is like broken. Like it's so sad. <laughs> yeah. I was um this is like sort of side note, but it was mentioned. I was surprised that we started off this episode to find that both Izayoi and Seiko were dead. Yeah, I, I didn't yeah. know that he had died. Yoi had died. Makes you wonder how he died. Yeah, because we saw Seiko at the end of last episode, but we did not see Yoi. Yeah, and I think Kyoko is doing an autopsy on both bodies, and she implies that there is kind of the same uh, MO of a stab wound to Yoi. But it's interesting because then you have to wonder, is the murderer attacking more people at night? Um, has a second person come out like what's what's happening there that would cause this mm-hmm. yeah part of me wondered if Seiko and Yoi like stabbed each other but I don't know how that mm. would work I, they, I think they, they'd have to do it at like the exact same time I guess. like perfectly choreographed <laughs> yeah yeah and I don't think that their bodies were found anywhere near each other were they on no. three and no. a one two <laughs> Well, that kind of throws that theory out of the window, but it occurred yeah. to me for a brief moment. I have another note that has to do with stabbing, and it's it's just a question. Um, why does Munakata stab like his sword down into Chisa's body? Anyone have any thoughts on that? Like, I, I guess so, maybe it's like a symbolic thing. Yes, yeah, so I don't know. Ha- had I had more time to like look into my notes, I literally have that as like a thing to look up. So it could be a form of respect. It could be a form of anger. But I will say something that comes to mind with that is it almost feels like he's like marking his like territory, for lack of a better word. It kind of reminds me of how like, you know, when the U.S. landed on the moon, we put a flag in the moon. Like it's kind of like that vibe. That's the vibe I'm getting there. And I don't know if it's like a, you know, again, marking marking his territory. That sounds horrible. Um, You know, but like. But in a more truer sense, saying, like, she was mine, like, in, in like, a more, you know, in, in a more compassionate way, not like, you're mine. Like, like, <laughs> you know, like, they clearly love each other. We see in the backstory, like, their vibes together. And I actually kind of adore them, like, before this whole thing falls apart. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how I saw it. To me, that kind of came off more as a part of the grief process. Um, like it he at the end of that scene says like goodbye Chisa like it's a very much like I don't know that he accepted her death or maybe he's been so focused on the other things going on in this killing game that like he hasn't had time to really process the grief but it was like he's alone with her and can just take a moment to say like goodbye as a potential but I don't know I don't think we really get a clear answer on that Talking about Munakata back in the olden days, I wanted to ask, what are your thoughts about his plan to make an overseas school? Like, I know, like, it's kind of happened and then didn't work and stuff. So, like, I know that he wanted to do that and it, like, didn't really work out. But I wanted to know, like, do you think his plan is a good idea? You know, I don't, I don't, well, actually, yes, because and I, this is going into the despair arc, but they're in tandem. So it's, you know, it's kind of hard not to talk about them together. But when he finds out what's going on with the Izuru Kamakura project, 
like he's like this is messed up so it's clear that his version of hope's peak and what he stands for is just i would say at this point for what we know and right because he is denouncing like this absolutely like abominative (laughs) (laughs) abominative This absolute, he's denouncing this absolute abomination that is what they're doing on human experimentation. And I think he is more pure to begin with as far as like his ideals of hope. So yes, I think in that sense, it is a good idea because I think he would change the ideology of the school and change like the way it's being run from behind the scenes by all these trustees and like that they're actually doing really awful stuff. I would hope, this is my hope, you know, that he would actually do the right thing. I I got kind of a different vibe, honestly, about like the when he was kind of talking about a little bit in a flashback, talking about expanding overseas. He mentions like, I don't remember if I'm summarizing this exactly, or maybe I misinterpreted it. But it seemed like he was saying something along the lines of like, ah, yes, like, we're going to expand overseas. And then like, that will like, help increase our power or something. And like the use of the word power and like maybe it was a translation thing because I was watching the subtitled version that stuck out to me as almost like a like I almost got a vibe of like a colonizer trying to go into like another area and like take over. I I don't know. That's I got like a, a different vibe. I think I watched the dub. And so in the, in that translation, I believe the word they used was influence. So it's like kind of the same vein of like power and influence. I, I want to add to what I said now that you've brought that up, which is I, I don't think, you know, I think his vision of Hope's Peak is not something negative, but I think his intentions for opening a Hope's Peak might not be pure. Maybe his ideology is like good and maybe I agree with some of it, but his ultimately his intention isn't like for the sake of actually like spreading goodness in the world. It's like, I want to do that, but like, I want to be on top, you know? Right. So it is kind of like a twofold. You want to be on top? Bah, bah. <laughs> <laughs> America's next top model. Anyone? No. <laughs> um, yeah. But I was kind of thinking it like along the lines of just what Hope's Peak Academy means. You know, it's a school where they research talent. Actually, well, they, let me rephrase that. <laughs> it's a school where it was meant to foster talent and, and uplift those who have talent, bring them into the world, show the world they exist. And so if you create a whole nother school that has kids in every grade who all have to have incredible talents, do the talents get watered down at all in order to fill the school? Mm. Like, are you taking away from what it means to get into Hope's Peak Academy by allowing for more people to get in? So I had a question relating to that, which when they're making Izuru, they're like, we're just imbuing him with every single talent. So is how do you know if someone has a talent? Is it like a superpower? Like, like, is there a gene? Like, or like, how do they know? How do they know? Are they just really good at it? Because it sounds like, based on their research, they found that there is like some way to like extract the talent from another person and then reinsert the, like, I don't, that's the other thing is it's like, are are people born wicked or do they have wickedness? There was stuff on them. I said, please get out, Caroline, musical theater major. Um, no, it's it, it's like, do, are people born with their talent or is it like, and we've had this conversation before, and this just brings up more questions for me with that. Like the implication to me, it feels like, is they found a way to like figure out if someone has 
said talent and like it's like a soul where they suck the soul out and then they put the soul i yeah i i'm just a little confused about that well and then going off of that to add on to our two questions the whole point of hope's peak was to find people who are in a way above others in one skill right if you've created someone who is above others in a lot of skills isaru kamakura is he now above all of the Hope's Peak classes? Like, has society created an entirely new thing to be impressed with? Like, it's like it's like classism. It's like just creating these structures. And, oh, it's just so bad. Why do they do this? And then a fourth question to yeah! add to our already <laughs> long list of questions is, is the purpose then to create a humanity where everyone is like Izuru Kamakura? And then at that point are we even human anymore? Like, like, what? Yeah, this is like, I, I mean, this is some crazy stuff. And like, I'm taking a sociology class right now, actually. And like, we've talked about some of these kind of themes, like in this class about like, power and class and like, just kind of those structures and how we create them. And like, there's, there's this one thing, and I think I actually may have brought this up briefly in chapter four of Danganronpa 2. I don't, you know, you can tell me if this sounds familiar. I can't remember if I brought it up or not. But, like, I don't know if you've heard of the transhumanism movement. I brought it up. So you brought it up, Caroline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is, um, and I read a book about it for, like, a class at some point. And it's, like, it, it, initially it seems really interesting. And then you get into it and it's terrifying. And, like, the implications of it are actually terrible basically because one thing that was occurring to me also is when you bring up all these questions of like oh well you know what makes talent like do, is this person how do they determine that this person is the best at what they do um and I think if we're if we're thinking about like in a more realistic sense like if Hope Speak Academy was real sure it would it would be like you know talent is important for them to get in but I think a lot of it would also have to do with accessibility and like pre-existing privilege you know like someone who is already like in a like social class or privileged enough to be noticed by Hope Speak Academy is going to be more likely to get in versus someone who maybe is even more talented but is not does not have those advantages you know what I mean and like transhumanism looks into those those kinds of how that would make like class distinctions even worse and it's it's some like interesting but in some ways kind of scary stuff it's so true and like I literally was thinking that I was like, what if there's someone in like the hills of like in the middle of nowhere who is the best at like being a sports team manager, but doesn't know that because they haven't had the privilege and resources to be a sports. Like, you're so right. right. It is interesting in media to see how people view humanity and what they will do to try and bend what humanity is last night I was watching a couple movies with my dad and we watched one called Limitless uh, which is a movie with Bradley Cooper pretty recent um, movie and the idea is that if you take a pill then you can access more of your brain which is a myth but like whatever it, it doesn't matter you know like just enjoy the movie and so but was what was interesting is he took a drug in order to increase the capability of humanity versus in the X-Men comics where you have to go beyond humanity to be talented versus Dong and Rompa where only specific humans are talented 
but you can create it. Like, it's like, it's very interesting how people look at what humanity is and what parts of it you can change and like where the limit is to what humanity can be. And just, I don't know, it was very, very interesting conversation to have. Yeah, definitely. It's rather relevant that you watched that movie last night. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was I watching it and I was like, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Very, very Is there a part where he's playing the piano? I don't think Because so. there's another movie very similar to that that yeah, I've watched. There's, there's one with uh, Scarlett uh, Johansson. That one's worse. Oh. Much worse. Can I ruin that movie for you guys? Sure. Okay, the idea is that you gain more access to your brain. So, okay, so the theory behind the brain is that, you know, we only have access to 20%, which is false. You have access to 100, you just don't use it all at once. So, dumb concept. But it's fun in media to just pretend that the real thing doesn't exist and move on. Well, in the Scarlett Johansson movie, she tries to access more and more of her brain because she also absorbs this drug. And at the end, when she absorbs 100 or is able to use 100% of her brain, she legitimately turns into a flash drive. Literally, she becomes a flash drive. And it's so the dumbest thing I've ever seen. I watched that movie on a plane and I was like, <laughs> I can't help but, be, but think of like how Izuku Midoriya is like, I'm only gonna use my power at twenty percent, and like, and like all of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, all let's right. Rain it in, folks. Rain it in. Let's get back on. So back to the future arc. Back to the future. Well, that's another Bye. movie. That's another movie. My next note is just about something I missed when I was first watching this series back in the day, about a year ago. Um, and it's like the dying message that Tengen supposedly leaves in the ground. Like, I don't know why I didn't even notice that, but like in the translation in the Japanese version, it says um, that I entrust the hope of the world to you is what that message says. Correct me if I'm wrong. That message is fake, right? Like Monica made that message and like made them see it because, and like Tengen didn't actually write that because um, Gekko Gahara like shows that to them on their screen after we see Monica behind the scenes controlling her say something along the lines of, oh, like, let me just give Makoto a little bit of hope. Um, and then after that, when like, you know, Makoto gets all inspired and then Monica says to herself, like, wow, if something that dumb, like, or that cheesy worked on him, his head must be really empty or like whatever. And so I was like, did she just make that up? I don't think she did. I think that he wrote that. And I think that she's just commenting on the fact that like, you know, huh. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure and I could be wrong, um, but I'm pretty sure the order of events is Makoto's sad. Monica's like, don't worry, like, let's get hopeful again. And he's like, OK, like, <laughs> which is like, wow, that, that did not take a lot. And then she makes fun of him. And then she's like, oh, look, he left this message. So I don't uh, think like I think she was more making fun of his like just gullible ish personality. Gotcha. You know? OK. But yeah. I did have a question about that message. Who mm -hmm. do you think it was written for? Yeah, that that's that's the other thing. I, I was like, oh, if that is real, then like, what is it referring to? I don't actually know. Because I think it's easy to say Makoto. I think that Tengen generally likes Makoto, right? He wanted him to not get executed. I guess that's a general form of liking someone. But 
he, he didn't know Makoto would see that message. You have to wonder right. who would go back to Tengen's body in order to see that message. And it's either someone with a camera or it's someone who would care about the body, i.e. Kyoko. So that's a good theory. However, I also wanted to say maybe he was leaving it to whoever would find his body, whether it be Kyoko or someone else, because no man is an island. The hope of the world rests in the hands of every single individual left in the game because they all need to do it. They need each other in order to make it past this. And so I think that it was for everybody. I know that's kind of like a cheesy response, but like given the name of the episode, that's what makes me kind of think that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I have an answer as to who I thought that was for, because I was just out here like, oh, that's fake, right? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> yeah. I definitely don't think it was Gekko Gahara alone. Um, like my theory about it, someone with a camera or it's someone who would see the body. But I really like your answer, Caroline. Something I also wanted to bring up about that message that just made me, it made me think of this is so, okay, this is a little bit of a tangent, but in Trigger Happy Havoc, you know, there's the whole Leon thing, you know, and, and Sayaka writes the blood of Leon. And in both the game and the anime, it says Leon. And so that is true for the Japanese translation and the English translation. So we've talked about how it would be harder if you were a Japanese speaker to figure out who the killer was because you don't like that was those were English letters that she wrote in. Um, but in the anime version of Trigger Happy Havoc, Bloodbath Fever or whatever bloodluster i forget what it, what byakuya writes but that is in japanese in the anime and in english in the game for the english ah. translation and so for the anime this anime that was also written in japanese so i'm sorry this is all to say the whole leon thing though it was easy for us it was harder probably for people who are japanese because it, it wasn't in japanese and the, like the writing wasn't so that's literally it. And if that were in the ga in a game, it would have been written in English. This message in the DR3 yes, anime. Yes, if it yes, were yes, in a game, yes. it would have been written in English. Yes. <laughs> okay, that's all. I have an essential note for this episode. Do we want to save it or do we... I mean, now I'm intrigued. I, I think I need to say it now. Okay, okay. So the the crew, they, they connect to the internet. You know where this is going. <laughs> They connect to the internet and oh we hear a voice on the other side of the fuzzy video screen oh who could it be who's who are you gonna call Byakuya Togami shows up <laughs> I totally forgot he showed up this early and I was so excited <laughs> <laughs> needless to say your beauty is beyond compare with golden locks and skin so Um, but it was just really funny. And I thought it was interesting that he knows Geku Gahara is not real, which is so, but he knew that he couldn't tell them then because he's so smart and handsome. Um, and I also just want to say, because we're talking about like this whole episode kind of feels like a class reunion for like the survivors. And I love like seeing them all in like cahoots with each other and how they, their, what their relationships are like post game one. It's like one of my absolute favorite, like, 
character dynamics from these games is just the survivors from game one doing their thing. It's like my favorite thing. Um, and and so gotta shout out Kamaro trying to get Toko to bathe. That scene is so funny. <laughs> I, I absolutely yeah. love that every time. It's mm-hmm. so cute. Back in an earlier episode for the anime, I brought up the question of what had happened to Gekko Kahara. You know, like was that her? Whatever, whatever. Yeah. Um, when we found out it was Monica. And I don't think we have the answer to that even now, because we see that she's dead. Yeah. So, you know, we know that Gekko Gahara did exist, uh, but it doesn't really tell us if Monica killed her, if Monica just took her identity after being dead, both. Like, I don't think we get an answer on that, which is kind of interesting. Um, From that little exchange, we also learn that the killing game is not being broadcast, like Monica right. said it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's when they realize, like, they they are pl- they are playing the game, but there are rules that in this game that are different from the last time. I I loved that realization where it's like sometimes that answer is like right in front of you, and it's so obvious that it like slaps you in the face like that. Yeah. Just funny. Yeah. yeah, this is also a conversation with a protagonist. One of the only conversations with a protagonist, I would argue, in a lot of media where they admit that they don't have to work alone that I think is something in Makoto that is absent in I would say 90 to 95 percent of protagonists is he was like oh yeah like let's work together sounds good whereas like literally anyone in other media is like oh no I have to do this on my own I I can't rely on anyone even though I end up doing it in every single thing I'm in like (laughs) yeah there is definitely a a kind of pro tag that is just like that and okay as much crap as I give Makoto I do think that's what makes him successful is the (laughs) fact that he is willing to work with other people because no man is island no man is an island yes and that that actually is what my last point is about on this episode so that was a very very good transition um i noticed like you know obviously there's the theme of like we have to work together in order to survive and like put aside our pride and like you know do that and makoto does that pretty well but there's also at the same time like you know two sides of the same coin i also sense this theme of like learned helplessness a little bit in this episode um because there's the one example of like when Makoto and Hina are talking about oh wait like let's just try to bust out through the walls because like it didn't occur to them to even try that because they tried it in the first killing game they were in and it didn't work um and so this time around they hadn't even considered trying that up to this point and so it's like almost this kind of like learned helplessness sort of thing but the one who I really think embodies learned helplessness is Rurika when she you know we've seen that up to this point like she's very dependent on other people and in this episode when she finds Kyoko and Ryota she's even like will you take me with you I can't do anything on my own like I think that's the quote she says and like that's what she believes about herself I want to bring that up because I don't think she believes that about herself at all now I spent a lot of last episode bringing her up promoting her giving her her moment to shine but in this episode no I like I don't understand why they accepted her into the group I get that like what's his name Ryota I get that Ryota was like we can't just leave her here you know like whatever whatever and Kyoko's like whatever fine she can join why would you bring into your group the only survivor of a group of three who just died 
Like, hmm. she is the only one in the group of Seiko, Yoi, and, and Rurika who is alive. And you're just going to take her in? Like, no! <laughs> there, there are moments in this game where the whole, like, we have to trust everyone is not a good way to go. <laughs> this is one. <laughs> I gotta say, too, I didn't believe her when she said that. I, th- I think totally think she's lying. Huh. Oh, yeah. No kidding. I, I didn't. I Like, I, I think that he needed her. You only needed her, but I, I don't think it goes the other way around. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. And also, like, we get so many examples in past scenes, like, back when they were in actual high school and from just this game where she has a temper to her. You know, like, she is not someone that you can just toss around or talk poorly to. Like, she'll snap back. Whereas in this situation, she's like, can we leave this room? Like, it's so, like, horrible. And Kyoko's like, no. And she's like, okay like it's just it's not her it's not how she acts okay that's that's it that's what i have to say (laughs) wait okay i'm so sorry i have one more note i i I was like there was a moment with kyoko in this episode i cannot remember what it was i think it's when kizakura is like like man like no offense but like maybe you should like be faster at this and she's like well you're the one following me so you know i'm going this way thank you very much so if you would like to follow me you can and i i was like okay kyoko buddy i get it you're hot (laughs) (laughs) she is though she's awesome we we know i have a type and it's yeah it's kyoko and (laughs) byakuya Yeah, and and Makoto, of course. No, yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> stop that right now. And with that, I think we should take a commercial break. <laughs> <laughs> Are you looking for more content about the Danganronpa Three anime, Ultra Despair Girls, or any other games that we've gone through? Make sure you join our Patreon. The lowest tier is two dollars a month, and you get access to a ton of cool extra episodes, much further in-depth characters character analysis and everything you could ever want from uh, your ultra hope girls hosts you can follow us on twitter instagram amino facebook tiktok we are everywhere we are ultra hope girls podcast we would love to hear from you we hope that you enjoy our content and uh, we'll be right back after the break hello everybody caroline here with a pretty exciting announcement so I, separate from the other Ultra Hope girls, am offering some online virtual classes in things such as writing, because, you know, I'm the ultimate literary girl, and performing, and also some clubs and classes virtually via my own school, which I founded, called The Spilling Ink School. You can check that out at thespillinginkschool.com. I'm offering tutoring and college essays. I'm offering, you know, piano classes and all that jazz. So definitely check it out. It's a good time. And I will also be offering some clubs and classes that are Danganronpa related via OutSchool. So I'll keep the links all in the description. They are for people under 18, so ask your parents before checking it out. But yeah, I'm excited to potentially have some listeners in my classes, and I wanted to let you know that that's going on. So thanks so much in advance for checking it out, and I look forward to teaching some of you. (laughs) 
So my first note is about Hajime coming back as Izuru Kamakura and in the sciency room, <laughs> the sciency room, the laboratory, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it. Um, the people who are like uh, working on him are like all traces of former personality have been deleted, which is an interesting commentary on the presence of a soul in a human based on what we know about game two, because all traces were deleted and yet it was still recoverable. And so the question being, you know, th this whole episode has really turned into a very meta episode. I, yeah. I didn't expect that. But yeah, it's kind of interesting that can you delete someone's core personality? I don't know. I, I mean, mean I, don't, I don't think so, but go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, Caroline. I mean, I just finished reading um, The Body is the body keeps score or something like that um and it was about how trauma can affect our physical and men like mental lives basically and in that sense i mean with people who are trauma survivors things about their personalities are altered very significantly i mean not not that they can't be undone or are helped with therapy, but there is like a significant shift. So reading that recently kind of makes me think like, no, I don't think you can like completely delete a person's personality, but I think certain and significant life events very much impact how you are big time. And, and for people who have trauma, it's like every, a lot about them is, is different. They were able to, I actually talk about this in my very first Patreon episode, my ultimate, my very first Ultimate Psychologist Files episode. Um, they, they did do a study once where they were able to um, selectively manipulate the neurons of a snail and make it forget one specific memory. My, I mean, then we kind of go into the classroom, we get a little bit more dynamics. And I just wanted to nominate Little Bun Bun as our new Ultra Hope Girls mascot. How do you guys feel about that? Little bun that? bun? Yeah, the bunny that poops on. on oh! oh, yes. <laughs> I love that little rabbit. I love rabbits. They're my favorite animal. And I just was obsessed with the fact one was featured. Mm -hmm. Who yeah. is little bun bun? Um, oh. I love the way that Pekko and Fuyuhiko are interacting at that very scene. Like, just... You know, and then Ibuki, I think, like, says, like, why are you acting like an old married couple or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> And I love when she kicks Teru Teru. She's like, nope, get out of here. <laughs> like, she's so, I love that girl. Yeah, she is absolutely my queen. A legend, queen. for sure. A, a ligand? Mm-hmm. Like a ligand, like something that binds to. A, a legume? Yeah. Like. <laughs> like a bean? Like a bean. Yeah. yeah. A bean. Like a like a pancake party? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I put one on the stairs and and maybe behind the curtains. <laughs> Orange pancakes. There'd be there'd be light light pancakes and dark pancakes. That's like the plot of Danganronpa too. <laughs> there would be light pancakes and dark pancakes. and dark pancakes. <laughs> that sketch um, sketch is so funny. So good. Um, my next note is just that I think it's starting to look like, and I I kind of had a suspicion of this like earlier than that, earlier than this episode, but it's starting to look like um, Juzo or Sakakura, however we say his name. Um, it's starting to look like he has some feelings for Chisa because when she is like talking about how much she loves Munakata, he seems to get kind of upset 
and then like she kind of walks away and he like you know is watching her and like there's sad music playing and then he says something along the lines of like oh there's no room for me and so I think that he might be um dealing with some unrequited love yeah she literally says I wouldn't hesitate to die for him Munakata and he says and I wouldn't hesitate to die for you and I was like whoa (laughs) It's like, well, that's a pretty big commitment, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. We'll have to see how that develops. So my note is about Izuru. And I like how when Junko and Muguro are going to find him, that he is in a literal dump. Like, <laughs> the bed is dirty. Like, he, it's ugly in there. And I'm just a little sad that the trustees didn't think the ultimate hope deserved a better better lodging honestly i'm I, I it's so ugly and dark in there like what were they thinking how did they not come to the conclusion that he would turn to despair i mean come on <laughs> he's living in a dump <laughs> it is interesting because even junko mentioned she's like they want to keep you in here and use you when they want to use you so i think that junko and i struggle to say this but has some points in regards to Izuru Kamakura, because it seems like the trustees want to keep Izuru locked in a room, use him when they need to, when they need a figure of hope, bring him out into the world for five seconds and put him back in the room. And that's not life. That's not, you know, that that's horrible. And so she, she does kind of bring that up and say, like, you're not going to have any excitement in here. And yes, her definition of excitement is very different. But like, I don't know, it was kind of kind of interesting. You're right. That room is horrible. <laughs> I had another note about like the idea of like Junko kind of trying to save Izuru and like telling him like oh only despair can save you because like you know he's suffering from this incurable boredom of like he thinks everything's boring and like because he's just so smart and can analyze and see how everything's going to turn out and like Junko supposedly is the same way and like despair saved her from boredom and the whole idea of like despair being preferable to boredom is like kind of true in some ways like it it almost it reminded me of this one study that we read about in a psychology class where um people who were like made to sit in like a waiting room for like half an hour with absolutely nothing else to do or like look at except a clock would voluntarily like give themselves an electric shock by like poking this little like device thing like the first time they do it is like just out of curiosity and it like shocks them and then like if they're made to just keep waiting and be bored they will keep poking it and like hurting themselves for fun um not not, I guess not for fun that's like not the way to say it but like to feel any stimulation right exactly like that is preferable like a, a small amount of pain is preferable to sitting and experiencing nothing and that's just interesting to me because like our brains are hardwired to want stimulation we want things to happen we don't want just to just be sitting idly and so even bad things happening are preferable to nothing happening at all that is super interesting wow connected to that i had a note that that of something that uh junko brings up that is hope is the status quo which i thought was so interesting because i think to a lot of people that is what hope looks like. And I don't think that that is false, but I also would argue that in some ways, I think true hope is breaking the status quo, at least the status quo that we've set up for ourselves in society today, because 
in America. This is America. I, I don't live, I've not experienced living in any other part of the world, but America. But America is a very individualistic nation. Like I, like I would argue, at least from my experience, that most people are like, because we have the ability to do a lot of things in our country, we go after our ambitions and goals, and there's less of like a community situation going on as there might be in other parts of the nation and so maybe in america hope looks like breaking the status quo and trying to be more communally creative or whatever or being like accepting all kinds of people and that's true hope and like that is breaking the status quo for america or whatever um but i think hope is not settling for a status quo it's like moving forward to a brighter future oh man oh. amen but yeah so i just I, I couldn't help but think like i i don't think hope is following the status quo though i think some people think that that is what hope is and maybe that's that's valid and that is what hope is to them i don't know i i'm just saying or maybe hope means different things to different people you guys <laughs> yeah yeah I do love watching the dynamic between Junko and Izuru. I think it's super interesting. And obviously Izuru is my husband, but like, you know, <laughs> if anyone else were to compete, it would be Junko, I think, because realistically, I would be so boring <laughs> to him, you know, <laughs> like beyond boring. And and she isn't like there are, there are moments in their conversation where Izuru pauses and doesn't respond. And you can see that there is a respect there between the two of them like mm -hmm. it's specifically like I have a line when she says um when it comes to cold hard reasoning not all roads lead to Rome which is a famous saying you know but like he pauses and he's kind of like shook and I'm like <laughs> whoa like wow they're they're just so good together I don't know not that I want him to team up with her although we kind of know that he does so <laughs> that's the thing about the the despair arc is you kind of know where it ends up which is almost so interesting because it makes you question like, why are we watching this if we know how it ends? But I think it, it it's deeper than that. I think the why is what's important about this show. It's the, the intricate relationships between all the characters. It's, you know, getting from A to B, but how did we get from A to B? I didn't really know until I watched this anime. So yeah. Right. I had a note about like, just, I was curious to just ask what you guys thoughts and feelings about Junko are in these episodes because I know like I've said a little bit in the past about how I think she's like an interesting villain and like I kind of like how they use her in like the first two games and whatnot but she almost started to just kind of get on my nerves in this episode like I don't know wh why I like wasn't digging it as much. I have Junko's never been my favorite villain. I think that she is boring in a way because <laughs> <laughs> i know i but because i think that she her ultimate goal is despair so maybe on the surface she de she appears chaotic but deep down she has a status quo of her own and eventually maybe that means eventually easter will get bored of her we'll see but um yeah i i've, I've been bored by her and, and and we've said in ultra despair girls that i love monica because she's just there's more going on there's more backstory it's interesting because villains who are just despair inducing for the sake of being despair inducing that is so boring and that's why i've said that like and i actually i went back and listened to our old tier list episode with for trigger happy havoc very recently i don't know why i just was like i, I wanted to listen to it again and Marin had brought up like 
she had not even thought about Byakuya being an antagonist. You know, mm-hmm. you, you hadn't. You thought of Junko as the antagonist, which is so valid. Right. But in a way, Junko is like so evil and so like full of despair that an antagonist isn't necessarily like a bad guy. It's someone who butts heads with the main character. And that dynamic is always more interesting than Junko, mm. you know, because it's like the intricacies of humanity and everything. Anyway, so. The yeah. only thing I'll contradict that with is yes Junko's whole thing is she wants despair but she also wants to feel despair which is where the entire interesting part of her personality comes in is her if you have a villain who is simultaneously working against your protag and themselves that I think is where the interest of Junko comes in because you never know like she was thrilled in Trigger Happy Havoc when she failed you know there was a part of her that was thrilled in SDR2 when she failed it's like if you work against yourself too then I think it adds a a little flavor right but I think I I don't know maybe it was just me but I always kind of knew I knew that that was what she wanted more than anything was just to feel despair I don't know, maybe that's just me, like, I don't know, coming to conclusions, but that knowing that was the end game, and again, I don't know why I knew that, I just had a feeling that makes it more boring to me, because it's like, obviously she's dooming herself to fail, so I don't know, I and even like, we see it a little bit in this episode when Mukuro, like, when she gets hit in the head and Mukuro's like, oh my god, like, I feel such despair right now because my sister, like, is in a coma or whatever, like, and then when she woke up, she's like, oh, you woke up. Like, it's so, it, it is twisted and it is interesting. But I think this anime, it's harder to watch because it's just constant all the time. So Maddie, back to your point. I hear what you're saying. I, I really do. I think that in Junko in small doses, it adds the flavor to the plot. But Junko in large doses, it's just like, okay, we get it. Like, Yeah, to answer your question too, Maddie, I think I agree with you that I prefer Junko from the games. Because I like her when she works alone, not to, you know, condemn our girl to being alone forever, but I think she does make more interesting choices alone. And bringing up, Caroline, exactly what you said with the hospital scene, Mukuro is sad when Junko gets, like, kicked in the head. She's like, oh my gosh, my sister, like, oh no. Whereas Junko literally murders her own sister and is like... Well, no, 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 no. I was referencing, sorry, sorry, I want to clarify. I was referencing Mukuro when Junko woke up. She was like oh, like you woke up, like disappointed because if Junko stayed in a coma, Mugura would continue to feel despair. Oh, yeah, you know no, I mean? that's not what I meant. I just meant like uh, like Junko alone, I think is more interesting as a person like without her sister involved, without Izaru involved even. Like I love their dynamic, but I think that Junko has more surprises up her sleeve when she doesn't work with other people. Like I think that because like you were saying she enjoys like the despair inducing things relationships to herself having people around her makes her actions more predictable and so that's why i personally don't love junko in this anime as much as in trigger happy havoc and sdr2 i got you okay okay the other thing is oh my god the scene when junko goes to to like scoop the guy's eyeball out with a spoon i'm sorry don't know how else to put that nicely that scene, I, it occurred to me, is this the first time that we've seen Junko herself, like, directly enact cruelty on another person? Because I feel like everything else has just been, like, alluded to or, like, 
things that she convinced other people to do and like manipulated them into doing or like just rumors of like how the world fell to despair like is this the first time we're actually seeing Junko like do something like this I think you're right which is interesting wow what a villain to be able to make it two three games and half an anime before actually doing something yourself and cause without yeah yeah I was like damn I there, th- that was this. That was seen as one of the moments when that I almost stopped watching the anime because th- there are more we'll discuss <laughs> coming up. But there are a lot of scenes in this that are almost too graphic for me to consume. Um. So there is a conversation that happens with, uh, I believe it's Munakata, um, and he's talking about Kamakura, and he says one hope can be if one hope can be eliminated, then despair runs rampant. The idea that if you have one figurehead that represents hope and you eliminate it, then despair is free to go everywhere. And it's very interesting to me how he takes that mindset and doesn't follow through with that on the flip side. So what I mean by that is Munakata spends his whole first half of this anime saying we need to eliminate all of the remnants we need to eliminate every single thing that has any hint of despair to it versus trying to create one figurehead that represents despair and eliminating it like eliminating it like Makoto did in Trigger Happy Havoc with Junko you know what I mean like it's kind of interesting it, it brings a little bit more as to why he doesn't necessarily want Makoto around because he is that figurehead of hope it's just it's interesting to me that a lot of people think that like a lack of personality implies complicity because you know like the cre- the hopes peak people who are working on the Kamakura project they are believing that this figure with no personality will just do what they say you know like will just become complicit to whatever they want but i think that that's a very dangerous path that starts off in a lot of sci-fi novels you know every robot apocalypse every like even like the Jurassic Park things you could make an argument for it's anytime creators are like ah this thing will behave they don't and so (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know I just think it's interesting to look at Kamakura in that lens yes absolutely you know I can't help but be reminded of this classic science fiction novel i don't know if you guys have heard of it it's not like i've ever brought it up on this podcast before but um frankenstein oh what's that oh oh i I think it sounds vaguely familiar it's it's quite literally someone taking the essences of life and forming a new person and Hmm. it destroys himself which makes me think i mean we we know that hope speak gets destroyed <laughs> of, yeah anyway mm. i'm just that classic back to frankenstein <laughs> as we must <laughs> remains relevant mm. my very last note of this episode is just the the fateful encounter between junko and ryota um and like when they're just oh my god she's just like walking by him he's like walking to the hospital and then she's just like all of a sudden like grabs him and is like looking at him I it's it's like she like smelled his despair probably does not smell very good because I don't think Ryota bathes that often and maybe that's what you know cued her <laughs> to that but yeah real quick before we wrap it up we would be remiss and our listeners would be very disappointed if we didn't say the classic line from this episode Kamakura Kamakura yes, yes queen, queen. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. All right, folks. Today for amended bed wed behead, we are going to be using the characters Junko, Mukuru, and Izuru. And my prompt for us is who you would want to take home to meet the parents. My prompt. I forgot we have to all go around. My prompt. <laughs> my prompt is who would you want to take care of when they're sick? Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, my prompt is who would you like to go skydiving with? Oh my god, that's. I mean, my answer would be none of them. I don't want well, to go skydiving. Well, the thing is, actually, I have to think of all my answers. So, guys, I'm not feeling about uh, good about these. I feel like I'm going to die no matter what I pick. <laughs> <laughs> that's the fun of this. Um, hmm. <laughs> okay, I have my answers. I would take Mukuro home to meet the parents because out of all of them, I would probably date her. I think she's very cute. So in reality, that's the only reason why I not I don't want her to murder my whole family. That's that's the fear. Right. Um, you know, but <laughs> I think they all would. Let's be real. Um, and then someone I would take care of when they're sick would be Junko, I think, just because I have no reason. I have zero reason for that answer. I just think like maybe if she experiences the kindness of another person, she would change your ways. She's not going to. <laughs> but I, okay, so but I have a stronger answer for the other two, so that's kind of she's by default in that position. So for skydiving, I would do Izuru Kamakura because I would be nervous that Mukuro or um, Junko would like cut my parachute or something like you know what i mean i would be really afraid of that and so for izuru he's (laughs) he's gonna be so bored anyway that it might put me at ease a little bit because that sounds terrifying to me just having someone be like it's fine you're gonna survive most 99 percent of people who do this survive you know like whatever that would probably be helpful so that so the other two have strong reasoning so junko not so much just there by default but yeah I have a slightly different answer. I have one answer in common with you. I would also take care of Junko when she is sick because I think out of the three of them, I'd probably be most scared of Junko, like (laughs) cutting my parachute or like, you know, murdering my parents. And so, yeah, I take care of her when she was sick. Also, like she, you know, likes despair. Maybe she enjoys like being sick. And so she wouldn't like complain about like oh I don't feel good (laughs) that sounds so mean like I don't want to take care of someone who's going to complain about not feeling well (laughs) I I think that she I I don't think she'd be high maintenance no she probably would I don't know I have no idea we're gonna move on (laughs) I would go skydiving with Mukuro because (laughs) now Caroline's saying like oh I think like Mukuro would cut my parachute I'm like I think She'd be a little less likely to than Junko would. I mean, Mukuro, as like a soldier or whatever, probably knows how to parachute, probably, you know, knows safety things. And, you know, if she wasn't like addicted to despair and probably out to kill me, it might be a fun time, you know? Um, In that age. I would bring bring Izuro Kamakura home to meet my parents because he has so many talents that um, they would be impressed by him and he could show off and maybe like play the piano or something cool. And, you know, he seems like he doesn't talk that much. So like he, I don't think that he would like say anything weird. I don't know that, that that's my answer. 
I also have a different answer from both of you. Um, So I would take care of Izuru when he was sick. Um, I feel like that'd be a pretty easy time. He'd tell me what he needs. It'd be easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Um, Yeah, Um, I would not pick him to take home to parents because I don't think he'd be a good conversationalist. And so I don't think that that meeting would go over well with my parents. Um, yeah, and then skydiving, I would take Mukuro. I agree with you, Maddie. I think that she would be less likely to cut parachutes, all of that stuff. I would never take Junko to do that. Like we would, we would end up in one of those like <laughs> dual parachute situation where she's like the instructor, and then she'd be like, "I didn't bring a parachute," and we would just hurdle to be our deaths. falling. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> it would be horrible. So that I would, however, take Junko home to meet my parents with the hope that the despair that she would kind of picture the event about would be that we weren't both taking Izuru home. Like we both had a little despair because we wished it wasn't each other that we were taking home. You know, like I'm hoping that that's enough despair for Junko to be able to last the night. Um, if not, that could turn into a really bad night. But uh, yeah, that's my answers. <laughs> All right, folks, that's all we've got for you for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We had a great time. Don't forget to check us out on social media. If you're not following us already, we are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, pretty much everywhere. So check us out. If you are interested in hearing bonus content from us, the Ultra Hope Girls, including bonus episodes like blooper reels and deleted scenes and whatnot, check out our Patreon. The lowest tier is just $2 a month for you to get access to all those things. And as you move up the tiers, you get to unlock other cool perks like joining a Discord server with us. We've got a great community going there and we'd love to have you join us. So check it out. And that's all for now. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.